Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I am quite excited about the show today. I've got Guy Talk starting in just about 30 seconds, give or take 45 minutes. And then uh, I've got a great guest coming on talking about uh, God. He hasn't changed and you are not forgotten. That's a a book called The Always God by Jarrett Stevens. He's my guest uh, in the second hour. So that is going to be what's going on today. I'm so glad that we're going to spend this time together, and you can start sending questions over for Guy Talk. You know the text line. If you don't, I'll remind you, 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. The Power Panel today is Pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, and Dr. Peter Kapsner. Gentlemen, welcome. Good to be with you here, Bill. Hello, everybody in radio land. Okay, now I have to say the disclaimer that the views, opinions, insuate, in, insinuations, and lame jokes made by the guests do not reflect those of the show, the management, the network, or the host. So there you go. Because you already Thank started, you. Tom Brock, with yeah. that. That wasn't a lame was joke. Lame. It was just saying hello to, not you, but everybody in Radio Land. Bill. Mm, okay. And you're going to stick with that, right? I am going to stick with that. All right. So um, Justin is not with us. He was going to be here. 007 uh, was called out on a mission. So I think he's got to do what he's got to do. So he'll be hopefully with us next week. Serving his Lord and serving his country. What more could he ask for? Exactly, exactly. So again, questions uh, to the studio line are 877-933-2484. That's a text. And we're going to start today with a verse out of Colossians. I just have to find it. Um, It's in the New Testament. Oh, that's... (laughs) That's That's where I went wrong. All right, yep. so that's going to speed things up. All right, it is uh, Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Bear with each other. Let's just stop there. Bear with each other. Do I have to bear you guys? <laughs> you have to, Bill. Sometimes it's I a feel command like, there. Yeah. The imperative form. Yeah. What is this bear with each other? Is it a burden? Well, we are all a burden in one way or another to one another. I mean, we're sinful people who've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. But I can still be obnoxious, Bill. And I know Tom (laughs) is obnoxious. So there are times that you can rub on somebody the wrong way. Mm -hmm. You can uh, do something stupid. And that ability to bear is kind of like that that patience that says, even though they're driving me nuts, I'm not going to throw them away. I'm still going to work for their well-being, and I'm going to tolerate them. And so it's really in a sense, you know, put up with one another, but in a good sense. And we're all guilty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's such an encouraging kind of verse. Um, Bill, I think it's one of the, the, the marks of the Christian community. It, it, it goes with be having a forbearing spirit as well. And I think we have to be a little bit careful when we say that this is not about tolerating those things that are inconsistent with the kingdom and bring, you know, pain and sorrow and suffering, this, the sin of this world. We're not talking about that. But I do think that if we can view each other with an eye towards the future, it allows us to bear with each other in the midst of the present. And, and I just think, there, there, I would say all of us on the panel, probably, if we look back 
into the mirror of, of our spirits 10, 15, 20 years ago, I, I would hope that we would not be the same people some 10, 15, 20 years later. It's, it's the invitation of discipleship is to continue to grow into authentic Christ-likeness. And so I, I would hope that I have a bit more patience than I did uh, 15 years ago, or a bit more love, a bit more faithfulness, a bit more gentleness and kindness, some of the, some of the fruit of the Spirit growing within me. And so if we have and can treat each other with a forbearing spirit to bear with each other with the idea of, you know what, we are frail. Uh, grace greets us in the midst of these things. And um, and let's have an eye towards the future of what might be possible together, uh, even while we deal with the pain uh, of the present. Because the stuff in the present shouldn't be shooed away, and, and it is painful. But uh, that doesn't mean um, that we shouldn't at least have be people of hope together with one another. It's a good word. And I like the the verse, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. I was at a funeral this week and bumped into someone who's a very difficult person, and uh, she had to leave our church, and then she had to leave the next church just because of issues that she's got. But, you know, I, I have a friend, uh, and just he's a great pastor, and just through the years watching him, I have learned always be polite. Yeah. So I was polite to her and just listened to her and, and moved on. But just, you know, I, I've learned that uh, part of bearing with people is not rolling your eyes and saying, here we go again, even though inwardly I might be, <laughs> but uh, just trying to love people and be polite to people who get on our nerves. I have a unique story. When I was serving a new church about 20 years ago here in Minneapolis, it was kind of a middle class, you know, church and, you know, predominantly Caucasian and whatever. In the first year, I don't know why I got, I bumped into this guy who was a biker, kind of a uh, he wouldn't call himself a hell's angel, but he still had the leather jacket, the chain, and the whole works. Anyway, over a period of time, I was able to lead him to Jesus and disciple him. He led seven other bikers to Jesus, and they started coming to the church I was mm. serving. And so here would be these eight motorcycles roll up on Sunday morning, oh. you know, for all these stately middle-class people, and they'd sit in the front row. <laughs> and, I mean, they were still wore their black leather jackets. That congregation, in a very short period of time, befriended those men interacted with those men and made them brothers in Christ. And it was the most oppressive thing I've ever seen. Mm. That's good. Yeah. I, the, the rest of the verse, when you look, I, I assume it's Colossians 3, we're looking at here yeah, about the, the idea of forgiving one another. Right. So if, if we kind of read through that a bit in terms of forgiveness and, and grievances with one another, again, it's it's one of those powerful and unique dimensions of God's kingdom that that it's sort of the, the heart just beats with forgiveness. And again, we're not talking about tolerance. And we're not, in order to even have a concept of forgiveness, you have to have a, a robust concept of sin, right? Tolerance just means right. that nothing is wrong anymore and, and everything is right in each other's own eyes. So we're not talking about that. But we are talking about that when there is sin in the midst of us, that uh, as the believer repents and turns and says that I am sorry and I don't want to walk in these ways anymore, uh, that's part of what it means to bear with them and, and, that, and to bear with another person is to be somebody who is real about the pain that is caused, but it's also real about the forgiveness they want to offer. And uh, it's pretty clear in Colossians 3, it says, just as the Lord forgave you, uh, so you must do also. And so it, if God has that very posture towards us, it really is something that should characterize our life together as believers. Good word. All right, here's another question from a listener said, in Genesis 1:26, when God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. The question is, who is he referring to when he says us? Do you want to give a, a shot first? Well, because I'm ready to jump certainly in. Certainly will. Okay. Now certainly. some people some people say 
that that's a reference to the Trinity, one God and three persons, maybe. But the Greek word for God there, I think, is the plural Elohim. I'm not sure, but I'm guessing that's. And, and even though there's only one God, God is referred to as a plural. Uh, and and I'm not exactly sure why, but take it, Tom. Well, you're on the, you're on the right track. There's no question about that. What you have in Genesis is you have the beginning of what we eventually came to know as the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. What's interesting is that in the Old Testament, you have uh, God, we've always said God the Father at the burning bush, talking to Moses. However, in the book of Jude, who is the half-brother of Jesus in verse 5, he said, and you well know that it was Jesus Mm -hmm. who led the children of Israel out of Egypt. Mm -hmm. Now you have an amalgamation, and you start to begin to see the formation of this Trinitarian concept. But Elohim is right. It's always a plural. Yeah, I don't have very much to add to that. It is interesting that the Spirit shows up right away, right, in terms of the Spirit is brooding over the face of the deep. There's this this picture of the giving birth of creation through the power of the Spirit. And, and as John reflects on it in his Gospel right at the beginning, he talks about the Word was with God and the Word was God as he was talking about Jesus and the Incarnation. And so there really was a pretty robust Trinitarian concept, but God being plural and one all at the same time, of course, is one of those great mysteries of our faith. But but I think we see some of that plurality in God in the making of male and female then in terms of what comes uh, in day six of creation there in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. So it's a pretty interesting passage. The Jews clearly saw God as one, but it didn't mean that they saw that they didn't see God as plural. And and so that's always just part of this great mystery that we have. And, and certainly the evidence is right there from moment one. And if the Jehovah's Witnesses are at your door saying that the word Trinity is of the, de- is of the devil, the word Trinity is nowhere in the Bible, the response is they're right that the word Trinity is not in the right. Bible. The concept of the Trinity begins in the first paragraph. All in the beginning, it. God yep. created. That's the Father. Yep. The Spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters. Holy Spirit. God said... Let there be light. God speaking, the word of God is Jesus, John 1.1. 1, 1. So, uh, and like Tom said earlier, there are Old Testament passages that are definitely referring to God. They are quoted and applied to Jesus in the New Testament. Yes. And again, Colossians, when Jehovah's Witnesses come to the door, it's just easy to remember. John 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1, all three of those chapters teach that Jesus is God. I think what we haven't done a good job in Christianity is helping Christians understand that all the books of the Bible are at the hand of the Lord. He is the author, and they all have authority. However, and this is the big however, it is an unfolding revelation. In other words, in Genesis, we don't get the whole story. Mm-hmm. We don't get the whole story in Malachi. Suddenly in the Gospels, you have the four Gospels talking about who this Jesus is, especially John. And so I've always told the students that I've taught and the adults that I've worked with, when you read the Old Testament, and please do, study the Old Testament, but when you run into a theological issue like that, always go to the New Testament Mm -hmm. and see what the New Testament did with that concept. In some cases, it doesn't even talk about it. In other cases, though, it reveals even further what this is all about. And I think of Jesus uh, to the, the two guys after the resurrection walking on the road. And he he's, it says, and he unfolded to us the scriptures that the Old Testament was about him. Yeah. And we miss and, that. And you can always spot a cult because they play around with the Trinity. Yeah. They normally deny that Jesus is God or they'll, they'll like the Mormons, they'll say Jesus is God, but isn't everyone. I mean, you can become a God if you're a Mormon. So just, you want to make sure you're going to a good Trinitarian biblical church that believes in one God and three persons. And if they play, 
United Pentecostals uh, deny the Trinity. So there you go. All right, we'll take a little break. You are listening to Guy Talk, so that means send your questions over, 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Be right back. Back with Guy Talk. Guys that talk. That's what happens in this hour. Questions are welcome. As a matter of fact, I practically insist you send them over. 877-933-2484. All right, there's a verse, guys, I've looked at many times, and I love this verse. I've memorized it, but I want some insight, and that's 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Let's just deal with the first part of that sentence, study to show thyself approved mm-hmm. unto God. Mm-hmm. What does approved unto God mean? Well, that means you're being totally faithful to what he said. You're letting him speak out of his context. You're not adding to it. You're not detracting from it. And you're making sure that you're saying it in a way that is communicable to other people. I wish we would all do that. You know, I haven't always done that as well as I'd like to, but that's the goal. And study, uh, for me... Uh, I had a class reunion a couple of years ago, and somebody said, so, Tom, you still studying? I said, yeah, and I'm going to study till the day I die. And with God's Word, of course, it's always a time to study that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't have Tom, a whole Tom's lot done. After Peter's that. done. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye now. Yeah. It I wasn't that well, good that was what I said. Today. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, I guess yeah. one of the questions is how much time or priority do I give to study or memorization of God's Word. Yeah, well, how seriously do we take this? Yeah. Study to show thyself approved unto God. Ah, good point. I no. think... Go ahead, Peter. I was just going to say, it's a great question. My understanding is, is the word study also um, can mean the word strive. And so it's that idea of not just the amount of time that you spend, because I think you can spend a lot of time in study, but you might be doing it because of drudgery or out of duty or sort of rote obedience. And, and not that we shouldn't kind of plow through on those kinds of days. But I think one of the questions in terms to be somebody who is is a representative of the kingdom approved in those kinds of ways, whatever that means, is it somebody who is his striving, who has an inner desire. And, and, and I think that desire, the flames of that desire, um, you can't really drum that stuff up. The, the best way to, to start having the flames of that desire is to just simply yield and surrender and give up your life again and again and again and ask the Spirit to... Um, create that kind of desire in you for that. And so as, as the flames of that desire grow, you, you begin to strive and it begins to be sort of a natural slash supernatural response to, to be somebody who is representing God's kingdom well. So uh, I think it might be a little bit better to suggest strive versus study, just because then we're, we're not talking about amount of time or volume of time or everybody should go to seminary or something like that. Right. It is for anybody. Uh, to be somebody whose inner desire is striving to want to rightly divide God's Word and be an ambassador from that place. When I met my wife 50 years ago, oh my goodness, that long, all right? And I decided she was the one. 
to say that I studied her would probably not be a good way to say it, but I was so enamored by her that I watched everything she did. I paid attention. I wanted to know how she brushed her hair. I wanted to know how she bat her eyes. I wanted to know what she thought. And it is this passion, I think, in Christianity for Jesus that we need. If we have that passion for him, then it, I don't look at it as study. I look at it as getting to know the Lord better because I want to know him with my whole heart until the day he calls me home. So it's falling in love with Jesus over and over and over and over again every day. Yeah, I think that's such an important word, Tom, because, I, again, I, I think if we focus first on the behaviors of our faith, uh, sometimes we end up feeling a bit hollowed out and feeling like we have all these duties and responsibilities. Right. And, and I, what I know about in the example that you're talking about and you and your wife being married for 50 years like that, I'm sure it's probably not the greatest moments in your evening you know, marriage if you look at each other and say, I'm so glad, honey, you're my responsibility. <laughs> you know, Or I'm so glad that I have a duty to eat dinner with you tonight. Or I can't wait for the rote responsibility to take a walk. You know, something like that. And so uh, I think one of, one of the things that maybe we don't talk about enough in our in our Christian faith is that really the invitation over and over and over again in the scriptures is to be formed and transformed from the inside out so that our behaviors naturally flow from the desires that are being shaped by God in our interior world, because our, our desires are going to be shaped all the time by any number of things. And, and I think the question is, is will we allow ourselves to be at the hands of the potter, to use some of the language of the Old Testament, so yeah. that we're being shaped and molded, so that we look at one another and say, I want to take a walk with you because I actually delight in you from the inside out. Or, honey, I'm glad we're married for these 50 years um, because in, you know, in the joys and the struggles and, and the drama and the fun that we've had together, I just, I, I totally delight in you. And, and I think that's God's posture towards us. It's not like God is sitting up in, in heaven tapping his finger saying, well, these guys are my responsibility again today. I better deal with them. <laughs> um, you know, it's really coming from that heart of love. And think of how privileged we are. When Paul wrote Timothy, study uh, to make yourself approved, what would Timothy have studied? He would have studied the Old Testament. Sure. He might have had a few epistles of Paul or somebody, but we have the entire Old and New Testament to study, and that's yeah. such a privilege. Another text came in. Can you continue the discussion on the Trinity? Certainly. <laughs> just to, no, honestly, just to define it. I mean, I was raised in a good biblical church, and I can remember 12 years old, sitting in confirmation class, Pastor Ruff, the first thing he taught us was the Trinity. And my hand went up, and I said, Jesus is God? Yes, one God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus is eternal with the Father. Jesus has always existed. He was not created. One God and three eternal persons. And I got a little angry at age 12. And I think I said to him, you know, they've taught me about uh, knowing the ark about 10 times. Why didn't anybody teach me Jesus as God? And then I remember when I was a young preacher at my first church, an 80-year-old man put his hand up to me. What do you mean Jesus is God? I thought he was the Son of God. Well, he is. He's also God the Son. So don't assume that people who've been in church forever understand that Jesus is fully God and fully man, uh, eternal with the Father and the Spirit. Not three gods, one God and three persons. But uh, I, I never assume anymore that people get that. I, I preach oh, on no. the Trinity a lot. I do too, because most people don't get it. And I have the bad habit of going to other churches and when I get to sit and hear another pastor preach, you know what I actually do? I, I've got my iPad and I did this not long ago. Through the entire service I wrote down, I'm making little marks, how many times they just talk about God? Mm -hmm. 
How many times did they talk about Jesus? How many times did they bring up God the Holy Spirit? Mm-hmm. And it was scary because God was over 60 times in an hour service. Jesus was mentioned three times and once was in a song. And the Holy Spirit was mentioned once. Mm-hmm. And so what we do is we, we betray ourselves because of the way we teach it, and we betray ourselves with our own language. If we had been for all of our life talking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, for most Christians it would be much easier. Yeah. But we don't do that. Yeah, agreed. I think there's another part of this too, you guys, where it's not just the what, because I think we, we sort of head into these inky theological waters where it's tough to see when it comes to a concept like the Trinity, and we, we wonder about the what of the Trinity. But I think... Uh, what we can say in safety is sort of the why of the Trinity. Why? why um, what? What can we learn for that as as people? And because God is relationship in God's very essence, in terms of Father, Son, and Spirit, um, then you combine that with the fact that the Scripture is pretty clear, especially in First John four, where it says God is love. It doesn't even say that God acts lovingly, uh, although He does. It doesn't say that God will move in love, though He does. It simply says, like a, a defining essence of God Himself is love. And, and in order to have love, you have to have relationship, right? I mean, you have yeah. to have an object of love. And so theologians will talk about sort of this perpetual, infinite dance of love between the Trinity, and from that love overflowed all of the acts of creation. And so, so much so that John says, by the way, um, love comes from God, and anyone who loves is born of God um, and knows God. But if you don't know what it means to love another person, it actually says you don't know God. And so... I think the the what like gosh how does this thing work three and one is such a, an important question that won't be resolved, but I think what we learn from that and where we as believers in worshiping this relational God are meant to mirror that in the world around us, which is why I think it's so hard, right? When when churches are getting so fractured and they're marked by power plays or division and strife, we're, we're not modeling what is the very essence of the Godhead, and and we're meant to be one body separated out into different parts, but still one body, just like just like God himself. And in that, we're meant to love one another first and foremost. And if I can make the statement, <clears throat> he who doubts the Trinity will lose his salvation. He who tries to understand the Trinity will lose his mind. <laughs> but we still got to talk about it. Of it's course. it's yeah, hugely important. Sure. So when Jesus says on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's course quoting psalm 22 hmm? was god the father present at the crucifixion seems like it's just about break time isn't it Bill? <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is break time it is break time and i'm going to give you guys all 90 seconds to think about that one. <laughs> but i'm Save open to lots well. of questions let me know what they are 877-933-2484 if you prefer email you can email me bill at myfaithradio.com bill at myfaithradio.com maybe that's easier to remember and again, the number is 877-933-2484. This hour is Guide Talk. This is We're going to do the extended version today as well for those who can stay on. And we are going to um, look for your calls and or your text messages, 877-933-2484. My guests are Pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, and Peter Kapsner. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the show. This hour is Guy Talk, the extended version today. So that means we got extra time for your questions. Send them over to me. Send them via text, 877-933-2484. Or you can email me, bill at myfaithradio.com. The Trinity chat is kind of lighting up the board here. Mm-hmm. Nice job, everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, an additional question is, how would you explain the Trinity to someone uh, you have a relationship with, but they keep stating Trinity is not in the Bible. So they want to stick with that. Sure. Well, again, call it what you will. They're right. The word Trinity is not in the Bible. The concept is. And its concept is throughout. And so, you know, if somebody doesn't want to use the word, I guess I'll live with that. But um, they they need to believe in one God Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They can't deny that. That's the last the last thing Jesus said on earth is go ye therefore baptize in the name the name singular, by the way, not the names plural, baptize in the name singular of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But well, I you know, some groups can be so hyper that well if it's not in the Bible, we're not going to use it. Well, light bulbs aren't in the Bible either. Most churches that are that way have light bulbs. You know, just because something isn't in the Bible doesn't mean you can't use it. So. But the concept is in the Bible, absolutely. And, and I was looking at the ESV Study Bible the other day on this very topic, and it's got a section there that lists all the passages that good, talk about the yeah. Trinity. And but it doesn't say Trinity, but it talks about God mm-hmm. the Son. It talks about you know God the Father, and that's a very very useful tool. And again, know? if this person's friend, I. I I would not attend a church that did not believe in one God and three persons. You've, that's central. And if this listener, again, wants to contact you, Bill, and give me, you give uh, get the email, I will send that information mm-hmm. to that person from the Bible. All right, one more question on the Trinity. Regarding the Trinity, what are your thoughts on the book, The Shack? I, real, I really liked it, but I have people telling me that it is not of God. I, I've not read The Shack, so I'm kind of out in the cold here. I have to be honest. I have not read it. Okay. The criticism of the shack was, well, uh, the author portrays God as a black woman. Okay. Uh, That aside, um, the other criticism was that universalism comes out in the shack, that everybody's going to have it ultimately. And I don't know if that's fair, but that was the big criticism of the book. Okay. Another question came in. I recently got saved in September, and this person was looking for a church and found one on the internet, went to the church, and realized, despite how lovely people were, warm, inviting, that there was a disagreement with the doctrine. And the question is, what is the Christ-like way to diffuse the situation? Hmm. They already have a, a doctrinal hmm. difference. And I mean, I don't agree with everything. I attend a Missouri Synod Lutheran Church. I don't agree with absolutely everything. Yeah, but this is a stark difference. Okay, if yeah. it's a biggie, yeah. I, I, you got to go somewhere else where they or, believe like you do. Or what you need to do is, is learn how to ask appropriate questions. I find a lot of times when people want to argue with me about Christianity, it's much easier for me to start asking them questions about, tell me where you got your information. Tell me how you came to this conclusion about Jesus. What scripture passages do you have that support that? Because a lot of people are speaking anecdotally. Or they're speaking, even Christians, they're speaking, well, I heard this in Sunday school years ago. Well, because you heard it in Sunday school, it doesn't mean it's biblical. And so I've always tried to challenge people, and at least in my case, for what it's worth, 
the vast majority have actually gone back and done some looking, and some of them have changed their minds. And and you know what I like to say? If if let's say this person's church shopping, how do you know if you've got a good church versus a bad church? You wait till the pastor is done shaking hands. You politely say, Pastor, I'm thinking of joining this church, or but I just have a few questions. Number one, do you believe the Bible is the infallible Word of God? Number two, yep. do you believe Jesus is the only way to heaven? Number three, tell me your views on abortion, homosexuality, premarital sex. Um, and if you get good, clear answers, that's a biblical church. If you get, oh, that's a complex issue, and we need to, then you want to find somewhere else. And it's a good church if the pastor's first name is Tom. That's right. There you go. Yeah. Just by throw yeah. that in. <laughs> Peter, I think you've got something else to throw in to the, uh, the comment I made before the break about uh, was God the Father uh, at the crucifixion when mm-hmm. Jesus said, um, started saying, Why are you my, forsaken? Why am I, you know. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yeah, what, what do you got I, for us? I, I have something. I, I can't tell if it's going to be helpful, <laughs> but, but I have, you know, maybe some things to, to think about related to it. Because I think anybody that says they know definitively what happened within the heavens as God the Father and God the Son were were in this horrific place together. And then there, there was this cry out from Jesus that clearly was, as you said, a reference to Psalm 22. But, but the question is, is what was Jesus experiencing at that time? And again, I think we have to be very careful not to be overly dogmatic about what was happening because we simply don't know. But on the other side of it, I think we can sort of put on uh, our Encyclopedia Brown detective glasses and, and look through the biblical text a little bit and wonder, based on some things that Paul said and other passages of Scripture, what may have happened there. And we certainly have some evidence in Philippians 2 where uh, it says, uh, where Paul is writing to the church, he's saying, your attitude should be like that as Christ Jesus, who, though he was in very nature God, didn't consider that equality something to be hung on to. Rather, he let it all go, and he became obedient as a servant, and he walked it out even to death, even to death on a cross. And so if you kind of mine out that passage a little bit, there's the idea that if if something is divine, that being God, well, divinity can't die, right? I mean, divinity can't die. And so theologians, as they've wrestled with it, and again, I wouldn't teach this dogmatically, but but they have some this fancy phrase called extreme kenosis or extreme emptying is what it means. And there's the idea that Jesus at that moment um, decided to fully empty himself of his divinity so he could become subject to death and thus took on all of the sin and pain and sorrow of the world because only in that emptying could he actually die. <clears throat> and in that place, he experienced this sort of horrific tearing or rending of the Godhead, and God has forsaken now. There is a separation between God and uh, and his son in those moments, and he went into those waters of death. One other part of it that's kind of interesting is in Romans 8, it says that the Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, that that Jesus did not actually raise himself from the dead, that God raised him from the dead. The, the, the scriptures are pretty clear in a number of points about that. And so if you kind of put this piece or this puzzle together, there's this idea that Jesus fully and totally surrendered, right? Into your hands, I commit my spirit, is what he said. And then he went boom, and he died. And so he had fully emptied himself, and and only then in the hands of the Father could he be restored to life. And as theologians have wrestled with that over the years, um, there's the idea that he, in, in many, among the zillion things that happened on the cross, about beautiful and painful, one of the things that were taught in that as Jesus led the way is that the only way to enter into the fullness of life in the Father is to fully give up your life like that. And so this is the idea you must die in order to live kind of thing that happens in the text. 
So those are some of the wrestlings. I don't know if that's helpful. Again, I don't think we can know for sure what happened in the forsakenness, but there does seem to be a sense in which Jesus fully went human yeah, so he could become subject to death and in those moments experience the forsakenness of the Father. Let me add just a little to that. About 30 years ago, I had the privilege of working with Dr. Dan Freeberg. He was a visitation pastor at my church. He had been a former missionary, started seminaries over in Africa. He was also a Greek and Hebrew scholar. One day he and I talked about this very verse, and he took me to 2 Corinthians 5, um, verse 21. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What he pointed out there is that for that brief moment on the cross, Jesus literally absorbed like a sponge all the sin of the world and became the most sinful person that has ever lived. God the Father cannot tolerate sin and turned away at that moment. But then Jesus' death satisfied the need for the sacrifice, and that's why he rose from the dead. So I think sometimes it's hard for us to grasp that Jesus wasn't, you know, uh, just kind of playing a game on the cross. Mm -hmm. Jesus wasn't just there saying, hey, I'm going to wave a a magic wand. No, he literally absorbed all of my sin in that brief moment. And in one sense, God the Father was not there for him. and sometimes I get a question, did God die on the cross? And I I think some people would say kind of what Peter said earlier, his human nature died, but his God nature couldn't die. There, I think there are other people, though, that say, in a sense, you want to say God died on the cross because that's yeah. what made his sacrifice so all-sufficient. And so I—yeah, I, yeah, go ahead, Peter. No, I agree, uh, Tom. I just I think if we tie it back into that Trinity conversation, right? I, I think the magnitude of what happened there, if we think about this infinite God who lived in this Trinitarian life of love, Father, Son, and Spirit, and sort of this this perfect unity, the idea of the tearing apart, however it happened, I, I think to be staggered by the old rugged cross, to use that hymn song, I think is is such an appropriate reaction. Uh, Parrish, you said it so well. He was not playing games. I mean, we're talking mm-hmm. about the infinite divine, um, a rending of what had been the perfect union in order so that his creation could be restored. And, and if we can't sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound from that place of recognition of what was given up in those moments, then, then I think we're missing on the beauty of the gospel. Mm-hmm. This might be a trick question, um, but here it is. Uh, who is on the throne in heaven right now? The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God the Father is on the throne. Jesus is sitting at his right hand on a throne. And he will return and he will be on the great white throne of judgment. And the Holy, if you go into Catholic cathedrals in Europe, which I love to do, you'll often see a picture. And there's God the Father on a throne, Jesus on the throne, and the Holy Spirit is either behind them or sitting on a throne too as, as, a, as a dove. So, among, and, the, yeah. among the ancient kings, and you both studied those in depth, what does it mean to sit on the right hand of the king. It means the position of absolute authority, absolute power, the final word in all things. And so that's kind of the end Mm -hmm. game. You you can't go appealing to God the Father because Jesus says, I'm sorry, I don't know you. No, no. When you hear Jesus' word, you've heard the whole thing. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, I've got a lot of questions coming in. I'm just trying to sort through them here. Here's one in reference to 2 Peter 1, 3 to 15, particularly passage uh, verse 10. 
Is it saying that if Christians do what is said in previous passages, they will never sin or never fall away from their faith relationship with God or something else? Please clarify. That might take some homework. Mm. Do you know that verse, Tom? Well, I actually know, but I know the the question. <laughs> okay. Recently, somebody said to me, look, I've, I was a believer for years. I committed adultery. Does that mean I wasn't really saved to begin with? And he said, I don't see the Apostle Paul sinning after he uh, came to Christ. And my response to him was, we don't know. Uh, I, we, I, think, I think we sin in thought, word, and deed daily. Um, so did Paul f- fall into one of the bigger sins? We don't know that he ever did. But I assured him, because he had, that David committed murder and adultery, and God forgave him. Yeah. And David was a believer before he did that. But had David never repented of adultery and and uh uh, uh, murder, I think he'd have gone to hell. Well, sure. Yeah. You know, I mean, we don't know what the unforgivable sin is. Everybody's toiled over that one in Scripture. And people try to give a definitions. When this gentleman is talking about his sinfulness and what he did, even as a believer, the Lord's stand is still extended yeah. in repentance. And he died for that. And the problem is we don't understand that even as believers, I repent more now then I, I didn't know I needed to repent when I didn't know That's Jesus. Right. Now I recognize, and for me the advantage is, I hope, after all these years, is that from when I make the mistake, when I get into the sin, to the point of repentance is much shorter than it used to be. Because mm-hmm. I recognize that. So for this man, yes, there is absolute forgiveness if he asks for it. The other thing is, we have not taken in depth the story of the four seeds that are sown. And Jesus is giving us a picture of salvation. The one fell on rocky ground, couldn't take root. Another one sprung up and rejoiced. You know, the third one took root and began to flourish. But then the cares of the world and that. But the fourth one, you know, grew and multiplied. I think that we on this side of eternity cannot see where people are really at with Jesus apart from what Jesus knows. Some people are drifting away even though they go to church every Sunday. But we want to stand with him forever. And that's the key. Repent. No matter what you've done, just say to Jesus, I was wrong. And, and it's I the, sinned. And it's the devil that says you can't be forgiven of that. Of course he does. Yeah. He loves that one. Nice comment, Tom Parrish. Thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah. And, Good word, guys. Yeah. Uh, we're going to take a little break. When we come back, lots more uh, time for your questions. We've got some great questions coming in. We're going to do the extended version today of Guy Talk. So we're going to go all the way to uh, half past the hour. So we'll get the questions over, 877-933-2484. Or Bill at MyFaithRadio.com. Pastors Tom Parrish, Tom Brock, and Peter Kapsner are my guests. Be right back. talk is happening or guys that talk the power panel is uh pastors tom brock tom parish and dr peter kapsner that is the power panel and they're ready to take your questions 877-933-2484 got lots of great questions coming in here's one is it important to have he descended into hell in the christian creed well it's either the some churches say he descended into hell 
Sadly, some churches have gotten rid of hell, and so they and they say descended into the dead. Now, I, I don't want to jump on those people too much because either it, it could be either, as I remember the Apostles' Creed, either descended into Hades, hell, or Hades, either one. But I think it's important to have it in there because you know we've been saying it for two thousand, almost two thousand years. The Apostles' Creed is just what one hundred sixty-three A.D. or or the sec or the 200s. I think it's I think it's the earliest of all the creeds. The Nicene Creed wasn't until 325 A.D. So, I don't like to change things that we've been doing forever. <laughs> well, no, and, and part of the problem is, as you know, in the original Aramaic, where you go to the Greek or go to the Hebrew, you've got Gahana, which was the the garbage dump. Mm-hmm. You've got Sheol. Basically, it's the place of destruction. Whether you want to call it hell, whatever you want to call it, it is the place out of the Lord's presence. And in essence, what we have there is Jesus, the early church came to the conclusion that his death on the cross not only absorbed all of our sins, but that he literally stepped into the realm of the dead and destruction and where the the Lord's presence is and and declared his reign, that he is king. And we need to make clear, though, Jesus did not suffer in hell. No, He he said it is finished on the cross. Yes. And in 1 Peter, there's a strange passage that's hard to interpret. And it talks about Jesus going preaching to the spirits that were in prison. And there's about three different ways to understand that. But we want to make sure people know that Jesus really died. There was a group called the, was it the Docetists back in the early church that believed he didn't really die. It looked like he died. And he wasn't really a man. He looked like a man, but God would never take on human. uh, Oh, they were big into Gnosticism. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it was the spirit that departed Jesus on the cross Mm -hmm. and only the man Jesus died. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you don't Uh, want to say that. That's wrong. Jesus went to Hades, right? Mm-hmm. And then, but he was on the paradise side of Hades, not on the torment side. Because he said to the thief on the cross, today I'll be with me in, in paradise. paradise. Yeah, but what did he do? I mean, what happened during those three days? I don't know that we have a clear, but what does talk about him going to the spirits in prison. So I think that would be talking about the, who, who were disobedient during during the flood of Noah. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. well, you know... Uh, I think paradise is heaven. Some people think paradise is different than heaven, and you don't go to heaven right away. You go to paradise. Well, it doesn't say that. I, so I think there's paradise. So I think Jesus, I don't, maybe it won't work like this. First he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Then he went to paradise. You know, and, and, but, yeah, again, some of this we don't know, but I, I want to maintain both happened. You know. But the Scripture is emphatic. Jesus is Lord of both the living and the dead. Mm-hmm. That yeah. was the realm of the dead. And he went and declared his kingship. Mm-hmm. He is still Lord. And I don't know what happened down there. We don't have any details on that. Mm-hmm. But I think everybody in hell or in that environment was shocked yeah. to see Jesus show up. And it never says they got a second chance. Some people no. think that verse says that they got a second chance. It never says that. No. It's a mysterious passage. Read First Peter chapter 3. Get out the ESV study Bible or a good commentary. But that one, sincere Christians can understand differently. Yeah, I, I love what you guys are saying about that. I think, you know, these are such hard questions we don't know for sure, but Parrish, I got chills a couple of times there, too, when you're talking about just that he's the Lord of the living and the dead, right? Yeah. Whatever else we don't know what we can say for sure, that we absolutely can say for sure. So there's, I think there's a more recent worship song from, I want to say it's Bethel music, maybe it's Hillsong, I'm not sure, but 
but it, it causes me to tear up a little bit when there's there's a line in the song um, that says death could not hold him the right. veil tore before him he silenced the boast of sin and grave right like the the boast the, the idea that death had reigned in the new testament it talks about you know death reigned and reigned and reigned for for the longest of time and so in him defeating sin and death in its entirety um, what that means is there isn't anything that's subject to him. And and I love those passages where it says all things will be under his feet. Um, and and he even holds the keys to death, and that will be the last thing before he then reigns over all things uh, in that. And I think that's what we can say for sure is we serve a Lord uh, under who who is held by nothing. and uh, And so he really is the Lord of all and the only one worth our service. You know, I've asked Tom to sing this in church, you know, yes, the, old, yes, my son. the old Carmen song. Remember where the Jesus yes. and the devil are boxing? That's good. And then they, he knocks Jesus out, and the the, count, the, the official goes, eight, nine, ten, you're mm-hmm. out. It's a wonderful And there's all pair. this glee and everything, and all of a sudden you hear this, ten, nine, <laughs> eight, the countdown. And I think that, where that Jesus says, comes back. Yes, that says so much, and we don't understand that. One of my favorite songs, and every church I've done this in has looked at me sideways. On Good Friday, we think we've got to leave the church so solemn and so sad and so down. My favorite song on Good Friday is Oh Happy Day. Mm. You know, that's the day he washed my sin away. Christians, you know, I understand walking away in silence because of what he did. But quite frankly, that's the day we got set free. You know, and when I see people come out of a prison, uh, very rarely are they glum. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They're pretty excited. So I like that. And uh, my church has put up with me and you know, so we just live with it anyway. You want to sing a line of that first, Tom, and see what happens with the ratings? Which one? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Just any one that Tom mentioned. Oh, happy I, I love, you know, Dolly Parton, I guess, puts on her, what she calls her angel dress. Okay. And she sings a call a song called He's Alive. Yep. It's really powerful. I've yeah. seen it. And, yeah. Got a line from that? I don't. He's oh, alive. happy day. Da, 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 da. He's alive. Oh, happy day. Well, that yeah. song. Yeah. yeah. When Jesus... Go. Come on, Tom. No, Tom, you go right ahead. <laughs> I can't sing. You're the only one that can sing, Brock. I've never thought... Yeah, Brock, you can scary. sing. Let's hear it. Oh, happy day. Yeah. Okay, that was painful. <laughs> that was painful. Yeah, that was painful. Like, yeah. I, I do love that song. That's I, I told my wife, there. I said, look, if I die before you do, at my funeral, I want a big choir... A mixed choir of all backgrounds, oh. all colors, singing Oh yeah, Happy Day be good. is the closing song because that's what it's all about. Amen. Okay. Amen. Here's a nice comment from a listener, uh, Jeanette. She said, uh, I do believe in the Trinity, but I often wonder why so often in the New Testament, as in Ephesians 1, 2, uh, Paul would say, grace and peace to you from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh-huh. The Holy Spirit is not mentioned. What do you guys think? Sometimes he is. And sometimes, sometimes, sometimes Paul says, "The grace, of, uh, and now may the grace of God, the uh, may, now may the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you always." And the uh, anyway, we say it every the week. The peace of God. The, may the peace of God and the there's the Trinitarian blessing. There it is, and yep. I can't remember what it is. But the uh, some people say the Holy Spirit is the shy member of the Trinity because Jesus said, "When the Spirit comes, He will witness of Me." Yeah. So the Spirit's job is to point to Jesus Christ, and maybe that's why we don't hear about the Holy Spirit as much as we do of the Father and the Son. I still think we need to talk more about the Holy Spirit in the Church, um, but yeah. there you go. Yeah. No, agreed. And I, I mean, Jesus is pretty clear when he talks about, when I leave, I will send to you another, the Comforter, right? So he he does um, give sort of a, a personification of a third member of the Trinity, but I think 
you know, Jeanette is barking up an interesting tree historically in the church because they're they're. I want to. I have to brush up on on when this happened in the church, and maybe you guys remember. But wasn't there a pretty significant split between the East and the Western Church related to whether the Holy Spirit yes. was was yes. a true discrete third person of the Trinity, or if the Spirit was simply the love that flowed between the Father and the Son, thus not being a Trinity? And I think that created a pretty big split. Well, at one point. I think what it was, Peter. I, when we say in the Western Creed, the Father. Uh, the Spirit proceedeth from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshiped and glorified. I don't think the Eastern Church ever questioned the, the deity of the Holy Spirit, but the, the Eastern Church wanted to say the Father himself directly can send the Holy Spirit. The Western Church wanted to say that, no, the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. And it, to me, it's a bit of nitpicking, but it was a big deal. See, this is why yeah. we've got to look at the whole picture. And where I look at Scripture, like, it is right. It's talked about God the Father raising Jesus from the dead. But Jesus also said, I have the right to lay yes. my life down. Yes. I have the right to take there my life up There are verses that say, I, so, I will rise. Yeah, so we got to look at the big picture and yeah. not just, you know, I, I do a lot of photography. If you just take one picture of a person, you get one angle. But if you have multiple pictures, you get to see the whole person. That's what the Scripture is well. All right. We're going to take a short break, and we're going to continue Guy Talk. We've got another 30 minutes of it, which means all these great questions that are coming in, hopefully we'll get to address all of them. And if you've got a question, let me know what it is. 877-933-2484. The panel today is Pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, and Dr. Peter Kapsner. And we will uh, be back with a little more guy talk in just a minute. Yeah, because I'm virtually... Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.